Now let's get back to our study. We're dealing with Moses, the man of God. He was God's messenger to, to Pharaoh. And when he gave God's message to Pharaoh in chapter 5, then going on from chapter 7 on, and declared what God wants, he wants his people a three days journey in the wilderness to worship him. You have immediately opposition. And we were discussing our last lesson, the opposition, first of all, is by violence, and then the opposition is by imitation. And Satan fights every inch of the way. So does the world. And this is a pattern. This is a pattern in history. It can be a pattern with a local church. When it stands out for God, first thing, opposition by violence, and then by imitation. But the third one is a hard one, by compromise. And it's a full-full compromise. We started to talk about that in our last lesson. The moment the purpose of God is made known, you've got the world and Satan fighting every inch of the way. Welcome to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our teacher is Dr. John G. Mitchell, who was faithful for over 60 years in teaching the Word of God throughout the Northwest and Canada. Many were blessed by his Bible teaching, and today we invite you to share in those blessings by listening to the Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Our name, the Unchanging Word, is committed to the fact that God's Word has not changed. What God reveals in His eternal Word always has been and always will be true. God never changes. Life begins at Calvary, there my Savior died. He took my place and by His grace came with me to abide. All I need for living is mine by just believing. Life begins at Calvary, life that never ends. Our series on Greek Bible characters continues with Moses as God's man to lead the children of Israel out of Egypt. Now he has faced opposition by violence, by imitations of God's power, and now he has to deal with compromises. And Dr. Mitchell brings this issue to us as compromise is still present with the believer and with the church in these days. Romans chapter 12 verse 2 says, Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Well, let's open our Bible, Exodus chapter 8, verse 25, to begin. And here Dr. Mitchell explores Moses dealing with the compromise in the world of Egypt on the Unchanging Word Bible broadcast. Thank you. Good day, friends. We again come to you, and we're studying together. And this man, Moses, the servant of God. You remember that God has certain men in the Old Testament who stand out beyond anyone else. You have Abraham, who was the friend of God. Abraham, my friend. And then we have Moses, a servant of God. God called him Moses, my servant. And then you have David, who was God's king, and so on. Uh, these men are, you say, well, I, I can't be like Abraham. I can't be like Moses. I can't be like David, and so on. But my friend, you can be just what you are before God. God has made you and me different to anybody else in the world. And he's got a special place for you and for me uh, in the ministry of reaching people, of edifying God's people, of magnifying the Savior. Every one of us have the opportunity and the privilege and the honor 
of walking with God, of being in fellowship with God. This is what I want to try to get to your hearts. People say, if I only had somebody else's gift, but my friend, you just don't have the other fellow's gift. He's made you to do something that nobody else can do. It may be in some back place where nobody knows you. So what if nobody knows you? What if you're not in the public eye? <laughs> I think that when we get to glory, it's going to be a time of surprises. Some of the ones who shall shine like the stars of heaven are some unknown Christians, not known by hardly anybody, but they were faithful to God. And we are remind you that the more you know about the Savior, the greater is your responsibility to walk before Him. But what I want to get to your heart, in any age, in any time, whether it be Moses back there in Egypt or crossing the Red Sea, or whether it be where you are today, God wants you and me to walk with Him. Let us not rob God of the joy of your fellowship and my fellowship. Did you hear what I said? God wants your fellowship if you love the Savior. And he's given you the capacity to come before him. And remember, and I tell this, I speak of this over and over again, God never, never rewards greatness. He rewards faithfulness. Wherever God has put you, whatever you're doing, doing it heartily as unto the Lord. Start your day Go through the day, end the day with your heart in fellowship with Christ. Yes, go about doing your regular work, whatever you have to do. Take care of your family or the job you have, but do it in fellowship with the Savior. This is what he wants. Well, Mr. Mitchell, what about your service? Well, service is the outflow of your fellowship with God. If you serve God or if you do things, and your heart is out of fellowship with God, it'll be something of the flesh. Now, I know that God is sovereign. God can overrule many, many things, and thank God he does. But he yearns for you and me to walk with him and become usable vessels so he can use us to his praise and to his glory. Now, let's get back to our study. We're dealing with Moses, the man of God. He was God's messenger to, to Pharaoh. And when he gave God's message to Pharaoh in chapter 5, then going on from chapter 7 on, and declared what God wants, he wants his people a three days journey in the wilderness to worship him. You have immediately opposition. And we were discussing our last lesson, the opposition, first of all, is by violence, and then the opposition is by imitation. And Satan fights every inch of the way. So does the world. And this is a pattern. This is a pattern in history. It can be a pattern with a local church. When it stands out for God, first thing, opposition by violence, and then by imitation. But the third one is a hard one, by compromise. And there's a fourfold compromise. We start to talk about that in our last lesson. The moment the purpose of God is made known, you've got the world and Satan fighting every inch of the way. By the way, that was true in our Lord's life. You remember in Matthew 16, when our Lord, for the first time in the New Testament, uh, informed his disciples that he's going to suffer and die, be buried, be raised again from the dead. You remember, you have satanic opposition. It's true with the believer. 
The moment that the early church, Peter and John, began a witness for the Savior, what have you got? Opposition. First of all, the opposition is, is from the priests and leaders. And then the opposition comes through kings, the Herods. Then the opposition comes from people. It is true wherever you go. But I'll come back to this question of, of compromise. The first one, when Moses came, said, we want to worship our God three days' journey. Well, if you've got to worship God, worship him in the land. Be one with us. Uh, you have your God and we have ours. Uh, you worship, we worship. You have your faith, we have our faith. We all one, happily going on together. No, that isn't so. God didn't call Israel to stay in the land, to stay in Egypt. He called them to go out of Egypt into the land which he had for them. Do you think that the Egyptians would stand for Israel sacrificing animals? Why, there would have been a, a rebellion. The Egyptians worshipped the cow and other animals. They wouldn't stand for it. Don't leave your place in the world. How often this has been spoken of? If a man becomes a Christian, now you stay in the world. You do something to bring people out of the world. You'll never do it. You'll never do it. First, the first step in a walk with God, my friend, is separation. God said to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, get out. And he went out. As Hebrews 11 says, he went out not knowing whether he went. You say, that's a foolish thing to do, not to know where you're going. But my friend, he was obeying God. And God was leading him every step of the way. And God will lead you every step of the way. He may not tell you what you're going to do 10 years from now or five years from now or a year from now. He wants you to walk with him today in simple obedience. And he'll give you instructions tomorrow. Obedience. Stay in the land. Oh, no. How many Christians fail here? And I say it very candidly. How many Christians fail here? We get mixed up with things and we, and we um, how shall I put it? We try to satisfy our minds by saying, well, I'm, I'm, I've got a witness here. Okay, witness in the world, but don't become one with the world. So, well, that's legalism. No, it isn't. Legalism is trying to be saved or to be kept saved by doing things or giving up things. A person can give up things because he loves the Savior. And I'm telling you very frankly, the world can tell you and tell me how we as Christians should live. Believe me, they can tell you quick enough. I know that. I've experienced that. You ask a man of the world how a Christian should live, and he'll soon tell you. When I became a Christian, I wasn't saved two months, and I witnessed to a boilermaker in the shops he looked at me and he said, Mitchell, have you become a Christian? And I said, yes. And he began to tell me what I should do as a Christian, how I should live. Well, I said, how do you know these things? I just know them. We expect Christians to do certain things. My, how we need to walk before God. Stay in the land. Listen, a salvation that leaves us coupled with the world is not God's salvation. I'm quoting that. I'm going to repeat it. 
a salvation that leaves us coupled with the world is not God's salvation. Well, didn't Jesus say that we were in the world? Yes, but he also said we're not of the world. This was his plea to his father. Father, I do not say that you will take them out of the world, but you'll keep them from the evil one, the prince of this world. And to join with the world and all that they think and their philosophies and all that they do, my friend robs you of a testimony for Christ. I say that very frankly. Remember Galatians 1.4 says, Christ gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world. Or Galatians 6.14 where Paul says, God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified to me and I to the world. The cross stands between the believer and he's saying, you say, that's right, between the believer and death, that's right, but also between the believer and the world. My friend, let us make no mistake about it. If a man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. I'm talking about a world system. I'm not talking so much about worldly things either. I'm talking about that with that spirit which runs the world. And I want to say that we as Christians need to so live before God and so walk before God with our hearts in fellowship with Him. The Spirit of God can use you through your words and through your acts to draw and attract people to the Savior. This is what you have in John chapter 14 when Jesus said, Philip, don't you know me? He that has seen me has seen the Father. The words that I speak are not mine, they're my Father's. The works that I do are not mine, they're my Father's. Believe me, I am in my Father, and my Father is in me, or else believe me for the very work's sake. See, friend, a salvation that leaves us coupled with the world is not God's salvation. He has delivered us. He gave himself to deliver us from this present evil world. Now, the second compromise. All right, said said Pharaoh to, to Moses, okay, you fellas go. You fellas go. But just you stay on the border. Just stay on the border so I can get my hands on you. It's very easy, isn't it? Don't go very far away. He wants to stay right where I can get my hand on you. How true that is. Oh, how true that is. One, one foot wants to go on with God, and one foot wants to go on in the world. World borderers. What Pharaoh was saying, stay where you are so we can get a hold of you, we can reach you. I call them borderline Christians. And I say generally, they lean very close to the world. Let me give you an illustration of what I mean. You remember in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham and Lot came out of Egypt and they had great flocks and herds, and they had a little quarrel. The herdsmen of Lot's uh, stock and the herdsmen of Abram's, they had a quarrel. So Abram said to Lot, and by the way, you talk about a, a marvelous spirit in Abraham. God didn't call Lot out. God called Abraham out. Lot tagged along. God didn't promise the land to Lot. God promised the land to Abram. In chapter 12 and 13, you have this. But he said to 
Lot, listen, Lot, we be brethren. We're in the midst of idolaters. We're in the midst of those who oppose the living God. We be brethren. Let's not fight. Let's not fight. What will they think of our God if we start fighting? I could talk to that point too, by the way, if I wanted to. So if you go north, I'll go south. If you go east, I'll go west. And Lot lifted up his eyes and beheld the well-watered plain of Jordan. It was like the land of Egypt, you see. He had been down with Abraham into Egypt when he came up. He had been affected, affected by Egypt. And by the way, Egypt is a picture of the world. And he chose the well-watered plain of Jordan. My, look at the pasture for my flocks and herds. I'll get fat, fat cattle. Fat sheep, fat goats. My, I tell you, that's the place for me to go. Look at the well-watered plain of Jordan. Do you know the next picture in chapter chapter 14? He's already in Sodom. And you remember the Sodomites and the people of Gomorrah were, were beaten in battle by the great armies of Amraphel and Kedolium and so on. And Abraham, when he heard that his brother Lot was taken captive, he didn't say he's made his bed so he can lie in it. Oh, no. He armed his servants in his own house. 318 of them went off and followed that victorious army and defeated them and brought Lot and the captives back. What do you think Lot did? Went right back to Sodom. And when you come to chapter 19, he's in Sodom and possibly one of the leaders of Sodom, because he sat in the gate of Sodom, was the place where the leaders, the political leaders of the, of the city sat and judged the people. He became a judge in Sodom. Somebody would say, well, now, was that wonderful? My, what an influence Lot had. You better read that 19th chapter of Genesis. I'll tell you very frankly, Lot had no influence for God in Sodom. In fact, when the angels came, they had to drag them out of the city before the city was destroyed. Where did it start? He lifted up his eyes and beheld the well-watered plain, uh, the well-watered plain of Sodom. I tell you, my friend, you can't afford to walk one hand pulling on the world and the other hand trying to pull on God. It just doesn't work out. In fact, if you take the book of Genesis and take Jacob, when Jacob is coming home, back to Mamre and Hebron with his family, uh, back to Hebron, do you know what happened? They stayed near the place of Shechem. And they went into Shechem. It's a sad story. It's a sad story. If God hadn't stepped on the scene, there would have been no Jacob or children left. He played with sin. So you have Pharaoh saying to Moses, Stay on the border where we reach you. No, sir. We've got to go three days' journey. And you have another test when you come to the third compromise. The third compromise is found in chapter 10. He said, I will let you go, but leave your little ones behind. In verse 7, pardon me, in verse 7. They, the Pharaoh's servant said, How long are we going to let this man be a snare to us? Let the men go, they may serve their God. And he said, Go and serve the Lord your God. But who's going to go with you? Verse 9, We will go with our young, with our old, with our sons, with our daughters, with our flocks, with our herds. And Pharaoh said, 
Ah, uh, let the Lord be so with you, as I will let you go, and your little ones. Look ye to it, evil is before you. Not so. You that are men, go and serve your God. Leave your babies behind. Oh, what a, what a subtle thing. You older ones go. You old folk, you want to serve your God, away you go. But leave your babies behind. Leave your children behind. Oh, I tell you, my friend, how many Christian people have sacrificed their children to this world. They want their children to have fame and wealth and honor. You want your child to be somebody in the world. Nothing wrong with that, my friend, except the danger of God being left out of their lives. And oftentimes the parents follow right along with them. You know, I, I can't help but say that there are groups of people in the world today, like the communists and others, who say, we don't care about you older folk, but give us your children. Give us your children. And in one generation, through your children, we'll turn this whole thing upside down. I can't do much for you old folk anyhow, says some of these people, but give us your babies, give us your children. And if I may say a word of warning here, there's nothing wrong with wealth or fame or position as such, but do not sacrifice your walk with God to obtain these things. I could say much about this. I could say much about it. I tell you, I feel really burdened about it. We send our children to our public schools and we're living in a secular society. And there are those in our schools who are bitterly opposed to the Christian faith. And they take every advantage of poisoning the minds of our children, our young people, with secular philosophy, possibly humanistic philosophy, materialistic philosophy, anything but the gospel of the grace of God. It's what you've got here. Leave your little ones behind. I just say a word of, a word of warning. Leave your little ones behind. The fourth one, in verse 24, chapter 10. All right, you remember there'd been another, the locusts had come upon the land and darkness had come upon the land and they couldn't see one from the other except in, the, in Goshen where the children of Israel were there, were, there was no darkness. If you want to go and sacrifice to your God, where you go? You old folk go. You take your children with you, but leave. let your flocks and your herds stay behind. Go with your little ones. Take them along with you. Leave your cattle behind. Oh, what a subtle thing. You men and women go, your children go, but leave your material things behind. You see, he's still trying to keep a hold of them. And that's the world. That's the world. No, says Moses, we are not going to have that. We don't take our cattle. How can we offer sacrifices to our God? And the end of chapter 10 reads, And Pharaoh said to Moses, Get you out from me. Take heed to yourself. See my face no more. In the day that you see my face, you shall die. And Moses said, You've spoken well. I will see your face again no more. In chapter 11, That you may know that God has put a difference between the Egyptian and Israel. All these thy servants, he's talking to Pharaoh, 
will come down to me and bow down themselves to me and say, Get out, and all the people that follow you. And after that I will go out. And Moses went out from the presence of Pharaoh in a great anger. And he didn't say any more about it. Marvelous thing. What I'm trying to get to your heart. Leave your flocks and herds behind. So we say, okay, you be religious, but don't bring your religion into business. Keep it out of your business. You see, Pharaoh fights every inch of the way. Worship in the land. Watch on the border. Uh, leave your babies behind. Leave your stock behind. No, not one hoof will remain. I want to say very frankly, there are many Christians who have ruined their testimony for Christ because they refuse to take their faith into their business. May God grant we'll so walk before God that we'll always walk, bearing testimony to the one who gave himself for us. Now may the Lord wonderfully bless you today and may you walk in his fellowship. Again, I say, do not rob God of your fellowship today. And may you have that joy and that peace that's beyond the understanding of men. May God grant this to you today for his precious name's sake. Though contributions to the Unchanging Word radio program do not benefit Multnomah University, they do make it possible to give the truth of God's Word to hungry hearts in an increasingly difficult time. The address again is The Unchanging Word, P.O. Box 398, Dallas, Oregon, 97338. The Unchanging Word. And so until next time, this is The Unchanging Word Radio Bible Study. Life begins at 10.